The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Phantom Menace Edition. Because I'm not saying it's the Star Wars Episode One, the Phantom Menace Edition. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the Sandman himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello to everybody, Tom. Excuse me. <laughs> We're coming at this after having seen Return of the Jedi, where the Tarzan yell took you out of it. Now we're doing full house bits. <laughs> so imagine how much that takes you out of well, the Star Wars universe. Just wait, we'll get a Tarzan yell back. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, they put it back in to make it clear it wasn't a meta comment. It was a reference. It was a reference to just something that Wookiees always just, do. They just sort of constantly do it whenever they're swinging yeah. on vines. That's their exactly. deal. Well, here we are, Tom. We're going to talk about <laughs> these three prequels mm. in earnest. I'll bring that phrase back. Uh, today, 1999, The Phantom Menace, directed by George Lucas, who, of course, hasn't directed a lot. We've no. got we've got six <laughs> Star Wars movies. Famous, American... famous as a film director who doesn't often yeah, direct. Yeah, exactly. THX uh, 1138, 1138, American Graffiti, and uh, these, you know, six episodes of Star Wars. That is, for the most part, his resume. Yeah, yeah. And he directed four out of the six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as probably as famous for being a pro- the producer of the Indiana Jones yeah. cycle um, as the head of Lucasfilm, up to... Up to a point, up to 2015. Yeah. So. And as we said in our last episode, then he sold everything for the bags of money. And people said, great, we'll start making shit right away, sir. (laughs) We'll do everything you didn't want to do. And that's definitely been part of the reappraisal as like, like partly, partly then if there is a nostalgia um, burgeoning for these movies, and I think there is, Mm -hmm. it's not just about as um moving in time away from them it's also about us moving in time away from when george lucas made star wars movies and right. how that made them 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 different and more romantic in a way that you you just won't get mm-hmm. from you know the kathleen kennedy lucasfilm right properties and that's you know that's not to say and then that's for, that could be for better or worse but it's just not the same true right uh, let's talk uh, brass tacks on this movie. 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> this is the smallest percentage of uh, for Rotten Tomatoes of these three movies. Oh, interesting. Budget, I'll say this. Well, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure. But budget of $115 million. Opening weekend, 648 in the USA, four hundred and seventy-four point five million, and in the world, a billion dollars. Hmm. But I, there's something I, you know, in my reappraisal of these movies, 
the budget. Yeah. All three of these budgets are right at the same spot. Two of them are $115 million. I think the third one's $113 million. And there is something to be said of making movies on this scale. And clearly, we talked about how George Lucas doesn't want to go outside ever. No. (laughs) And that part of his consistency with the budget is what... I mean, think about... The movies at this scale, I mean, I think, you know, the kind of Avengers Endgames of the world, those things are costing $250 million. Granted, that's in 2020 dollars or, you know, in that in that uh, area. But to to keep a budget just over $100 million, I think, speaks well of George Lucas and to a certain extent vindicates him as being right. He could do everything he wanted to do. Yeah. On a restrained budget, I'm going to call it. Yeah, and it's the elephant in the room is he just needs he just needs someone to write a screenplay for him. Yeah, that's all he needs. He could probably he could do the he rest. Could probably, he could figure figure out everything else. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, this is it's not just that the the budget is responsible, but it's also that you can you can see where it goes in the movie. You can. See, mm-hmm. it all factors into as again the thing I like most about the Phantom Menace is it, it, it's about building a world on screen. Sure, and all that money goes into that for sure, primarily. With no and no department is having to scrimp or save on anything. Yeah, because you know all that all you know the lavish costumes, the sets, the locations, you know the 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 shots of space. The spaceship, everything is—it's all kind of cultivated, so it it feels like that budget is being used well, as well as right, well as well as well used. But I don't think, I don't think people give them that credit because I think a lot of times people look at what's on screen and say, it's a different kind of indulgence, right? It's a, yeah, it's, right. It's a it's an indulgence in in a very particular idea of storytelling and characterization mm-hmm. that. No one else in 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 the known universe has. Right. It's a pers- it's a perspective shared by no one. Sure. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and at different times, that's very attractive, and at other times, it's really off putting. Mm-hmm. It goes totally both ways, and that, that that's like my conflicted feelings about this movie usually rest on that fulcrum. Mm-hmm. That. You know it's going to go one of two ways. <laughs> Which way is it going to go this time? Yeah. Three Oscar nominations for this movie, all the ones you'd expect, sound, sound effects, and visual effects. But I do think it's interesting that... Best Supporting as... Actor, Ralph Brown. <laughs> Sorry, Terrence Stamp, obviously. I'm afraid not, friend. <laughs> the best, <laughs> The best use of exposition... <laughs> In a supporting character. <laughs> Rick Ollier. But it's interesting as we go on, um, fewer nominations for these movies. And, it you know, it just feels like there's... <laughs> and more technical breakthroughs. Yeah, that's exactly. Really... That's what I was going to say. That's, yeah. that's kind of inversely proportional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, and it's, I mean, I, I guess we should... You talk briefly because as much has been said about about the release of this movie as the movie itself, you know that the, mm-hmm. 
Star Wars fans lining up around around the block to see it. The you know the the trailer, which was like an early internet release trailer, mm-hmm. as well as being in the theaters and people would go and see movies just to see the trailer. And to then see leave. The Star Wars trailer. Yeah. that's what made Meet Joe Black a hit. Yeah, it was basically that you knew you could see the the Phantom Menace trailer before it, and then you know the the aftermath of that of of the, you know the the um the uh, kind of vehement fan react fan and audience critic reaction against it. Right. I mean, all of this is as much part of the story as the story we're seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 don't think about Phantom Menace as being unconnected from from those things you have to you don't i mean it's it it's kind of a <laughs> it's a lesser heart of darkness <laughs> oh that yeah the absolutely. documentary about making yeah. apocalypse now you know but there well, are and the make and the making of documentary is very very similar to heart of darkness or lost in labancha in the sense that yeah exactly right a disaster waiting to happen but i have a friend and shout out uh, to friend of the show john ray he was one of the people waiting, taking shifts, waiting mm. in line. And I was working at uh, BJ's in Westwood by UCLA mm. next to the two big theaters, the Fox and the Bruin. And I was there the night that the, the kids showed up with their lawn chairs and first lined up. And it was a good month, month and a half before the film opened. Wow. And my friend, uh, you know taking shifts periodically with other friends was the reason we got to see this movie at midnight. Fantastic. You know, that opening, that very, very first showing. Hmm. And I, you know, I can't help but to think, I mean, well, this is, I'm sure you want to talk about the 20th century logo and the Lucasfilm logo. And all of a sudden the Lucasfilm logo is more important than the 20th century Fox. Sure, I, and I have some questions. Is this is this what people saw in the theater in theaters in nineteen ninety nine? Has George Lucas special editioned the logo to the <laughs> to the the Phantom Menace? I think I mean, there's other parts of this movie that's been special editioned. That's true. There's a there's a new Jabba. There's a there's a new Yoda from the one we saw in ninety nine. Mm. A digital Yoda rather than a puppet Yoda. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I did wonder as, as sort of like, is it so, but you know, if it didn't bump you, it probably was the one we saw in 99. I was, I think too, a little bit too young to quite, I, I don't have that level of recall. Although that's not in the Highlander oh, it, 2 quickening it, zone yeah. of recall for you. I'm sure you remember it very clearly. It does bump me. It bumped uh, the... for uh, for other reasons, but you didn't see this one and go, hang on, that's not what we saw in 99 in the theater. No. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. It it felt like maybe this that was an afterthought. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, my that's yeah, that's my first note, and then second note is uh, when you know <laughs> the Star Wars comes up. I'm like, so far so good, right? <laughs> you know, it it seems obvious at this point, and I think we said this about Empire too. You still have to keep making the choice to keep the opening the same. Yeah, right. Keeping it the same is a choice. At this point, you could have changed you could have changed things up radically mm-hmm. with the way these films open if you wanted to but uh they made the choice to, to keep it the same and i think part of the the vitriol of of 
of the uh, of the audience reaction to it is partly because they were they were set up in a way when, when you see that you are you, yeah. you you have an idea <laughs> of your, set up in your head for failure. Yeah, right right and this opening crawl is sort of like it's one of the most mocked and parodied in cinema history i think mm-hmm. every amazing. time every time if i ever watch this movie now and I, admittedly it's not it hasn't been often but i think i might watch it more now having watched it for the purposes of this podcast oh great well, something good's come out of this. Yeah, it? but every I I can't ever do anything once the scroll starts. But think of the Simpsons. I have that note as well. So you know, there's a famous Simpsons parody. It's even been parodied in the Lego Star Wars mm-hmm. TV shows, which is kind of you know owned by Lucasfilm. So I don't right. I don't know like that. That but um, trade routes taxation. But but what struck <laughs> what struck me like. What kind of struck me this time was, you know, the the real version is beyond parody. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that taxation is in the second sentence. Right. <laughs> I thought that the crawl in back of my in, in my mind, I would have said the crawl descended into Wall Street journal Jer- style jargon journalism <laughs> journalism as it went on. No, taxation's right up there. <laughs> sentence two. And then the rest of the crawls like giving with one hand and taking with the other is like battleships, trade federation. Yeah. So it goes, it, it runs the gamut from cool to civics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's and then, well, there's like an unrelentingness in these three movies. You know, George Lucas holds on to this idea of politics and senates and trade routes like <laughs> like with grim death. He is holding on to this as though it's the most interesting thing he could be showing us. Yeah. And it's the least interesting thing he could be showing us. Yeah. And he does he not never gives give up on, a fuck. He doesn't care. He never gives up on the on the Trade Federation. No. They're and, always and there's, there. There's and so many reasons to give up on the Fade Federation. <laughs> it's, it's kind of they're kind of nebulous, aren't they? You yeah. It's hard. It's weird to because Giving our understanding, you know, we have a Senate, so and we know that we have a representative from each state in the Senate. So when you go to their Senate, you're like, I get this. There's representatives from planets or star systems or whatever. Yeah. Why is the Trade Federation represented? <laughs> but it's like they have so much power, they have delegates. But that feels kind of murky, doesn't it? I don't well, understand it. Well, I mean, it feels kind of murky. And also, why is any of this in the opening crawl? True. Why, for in- why, for instance, does it mention that Congress is locked in debate? Mm-hmm. Who's that information for? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's like, again, that's like something you would get in a piece of political journalism. Yeah. Well, I remember... Not, <laughs> not an opening crawl that, let's not forget, were based on the openings of Flash Gordon matinee right, series. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if a Flash Gordon matinee serial went into, you know, Senate protocols. Flash is looking to buy the Jets. He needs. <laughs> he needs. A, he needs a partner. He needs, a, he needs FDA approval. Yeah. <laughs> For new helmets. And you know everything in the crawl confirms my theory that this would have worked better as a standalone solo story because mm-hmm. if all these elements are just part of a, you know, a, an internal story that we suddenly, wrap up at the end of this one film yeah exactly like yeah. like you know suddenly these 
these somewhat these irrelevant details become relevant. And it's funny because the first time I saw it, I can remember reading it and thinking, this doesn't make any sense. All right, I'll start I'll start the movie after the crawl. <laughs> <laughs> but your reaction so, was the same. There's, you know, there's a great documentary called The People versus George Lucas, which is a fan-made documentary, mm-hmm. like a sort of a sort of mock trial of, of George Lucas, like trying the right. case for the defense and the right. case for the prosecution. And there's a, they go into the reaction to The Phantom Menace and, and you know, people people's initial reactions to the opening crawl and just the disbelief. <laughs> it's like, right. no, it couldn't have said that. It couldn't yeah, have exactly. said that. And then, I, and then they, go, and they did exactly what you did. It's like, well, then the movie will settle in and it'll be a Star Wars movie. And when it's not right. uh, recognizably a Star Wars movie, they leave the cinema going, well, no, it can't have been that. And they go get right back in yeah. line and go back and see it again. Because they think they was like I was just too overwhelmed. I wasn't paying. Attention. I wasn't paying enough attention. It can't have been this. Yeah. And I've always felt that about this opening scroll. So, so sitting down for the purposes of our podcast, I sat down and I said, "All right, I'm really gonna read it." Oh, we like to break down these scrolls and try to understand it. And then I found myself, okay, I understand all the words. There's no reason for them to be there, but I understand why they are there. And then I got locked into something. Oh. Why, why Naboo? Why, why, yeah. why this small little blue green planet for the Trade Federation? Well, if you go if you go by the the end of the movie, I guess the end of the trilogy as well. It's because Palpatine's from there. That's it, and that's the only reason. It, not only is it I'll the tell only you this reason too. It wasn't until this viewing that I realized he was the senator from Naboo. I know, I know. It took me a few goes. It took me a few goes. It's the same. I saw him get it's off not some made sort of clear. thing, and I was like, oh, oh shit, it's he's not from that planet. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's going back there at the end. I know, but it takes three or four viewings before you, that even becomes clear. Oh, man. But what's really striking in terms of, you know, you've, you've been set up, You've got this the Star Wars title, the music. Mm-hmm. You've got the opening crawl, and we, we and the Jedi's are like a footnote in the yeah. third paragraph. Right. <laughs> Literally, the last sentence mentions the Jedi's. So that's a whole crawl before we see a word that we recognize. And that last sentence from Star is, Wars. That last sentence is just dispatched to talk. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> Not to fight with laser swords. Yeah. Although that is what does happen. Right. And then, you know, the, I've always, I, you know, I can understand why people wouldn't have been as impressed by the opening shot as they have been for the opening shots of certainly Star Wars Mm -hmm. and maybe even Empire and Jedi. But there is something to be said for the ship going past the camera. Yeah. It's kind of an almost inversion of every opening shot so far. (laughs) It's like... And and it's clearly there to show the three dimensionality of digital right. imagery, right? Because it, the the ship goes past the like it it goes past the camera, and so you see it from both sides. And it's a smaller ship, so it's mm-hmm. trying to show the versatility of this new way of of doing effects. Sure, but I can see why people thought it was underwhelming. But I quite enjoy it because it, it, in its own way, in in a, in a smaller scale way, it, it's a it's an it's a show of effects technology in the same way the original opening shots for Star Wars movies. It are. is, but I'll tell you what I was struck by too, because 
when I first saw this movie, I thought, yeah, these ships, they don't, they, they, you know, it looks like, yeah, it looks like the last starfighter. And, um, but there's a big jump from this movie to the second and third movie Mm. in ship effects. They look so much better in those movies. Mm -hmm. I was really struck by that. And, and there's something to be said for this, this sort of like, you know, this, glossy mirror look i think it's as an aesthetic choice i quite like it it fits with the sort of it fits with uh, early 20th century aesthetic Mm -hmm. the sort of aviation uh the kind of you know the the um the aviation chic but have we left dirty space because it feels like we left dirty space oh dirty space is gone dirty space it just doesn't exist yeah, dirty space is no longer the selling point. It, it's about, it's 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 shiny space. Yeah. that's what we're in now. <laughs> and again, like you know, you it, might it is not a choice. like that. Yeah, you might like that. I think it, it's a it's a choice and it's an inversion. So right, isn't that we're supposed to appreciate that on this show? I I again something that I don't remember coming in as hot as it did. A la the, the taxation and trade disputes. We're straight in with the racist caricature aliens. Well, that Newt was... Gunray is the first, pretty much the first person who speaks, who speaks in the entire movie. And that's my next note. Racist aliens. He's the first face we see on screen. Yeah. And it's a very racist one. It doesn't sit well, does it? No, it's... And what's amazing so... is it stays throughout, you know, these characters are with yeah. us the whole way. That's what I mean. Like, and, there's multiple reasons. To, there's multiple reasons to move on from the Trade Federation, and and, and listen, Lucas refuses to. These two, these characters are not going to be our only racial stereotypes in this film. We're but we've got first, more. It's the first example in this film of what I've termed retro racism, mm-hmm. which is something that Lucasfilm pioneered in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm. Where they said we want to, we want to so much be like a movie from the '30s. We want to have all the racist stereotypes associated with that mm-hmm. kind of movie, and they're doing exactly the same here because this is racism through the prism of 1930s Hollywood racist stereotypes. Right. Yeah. It's the you know the the, the sort of the kind of uh, Ming the Merciless, mm-hmm. and you know the the sort of. Um, but it literally kind of does a- feel a- like Asian menace. Yeah, it yeah. feels like a, a World War Two commentary. Yeah, but is it purposeful in that way? No, I. This is so. That's why. I, I that's think why it's I call just a it blind re- spot, retro racism. Isn't it? I don't think it's a blind spot. I think it's de- it's deliberate, but not malicious. I think it, mm. it. And and the same will happen with both Jar Jar and Watto. So this is yeah, why I think it's right. a pattern. Is that they're not. <laughs> They're not stereotypes of, let's say, Asian people. Mm-hmm. They're stereotypes of stereotypes. Yes. They're, they're, they're specific, stereotypes that specifically refer to pre-existing racist stereotypes right. in media. So it's one removed from... Every time, it's one removed from that. Yeah. And the same thing happens in Temple of Doom, where, you know, and I think there are, there are quotations from uh, certainly Spielberg saying... I want to have. It wanted to have the feel, the racist feel of a 1930s film, mm-hmm. and doing that, you know, and and to to modern, you know, to modernize that would seem to be totally misguided, right? 
I think in I think in ninety nine, and I guess nineteen eighty four. I can see I can see them starting to get the message a little bit about the racism by the by the time we get to Revenge of the Sith. Like the next time we see someone else from that race, they're not speaking with a stereotypical Asian accent, like very very clearly. Mm-hmm. But again. You know, it's Lucas fighting against himself. Yeah, uh, getting getting in his own way. He's like, he's like, well, it's like, okay, maybe it was a little bit racist, but I'm still gonna do it. Right. <laughs> I'm just gonna make it clear it's not everyone in that species who speaks like this. <laughs> that's and that's what the second and third movies are just. Well, if you take if you take Spielberg's example, like Lucas would be saying, well, yeah, it was racist, but that was the point. This is this is how we get to yeah, this is how we get to interdimensional beings in Crystal Skull because yeah, right. Spielberg and Lucas can't resolve an argument about whether it should be aliens or not aliens, um, and yeah, and this, so we're so Nuke we see Nuke Gunray who by the way is, you know, the name and the character is a reference to Nuke Gingrich. That's yeah. who it's based on. So it's kind of reflecting, reflecting Senate politics of the time. <laughs> he was from the House. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Speaker of the House, Gingrich. Okay. Asshole. Not you, him. Uh, <laughs> potentially both. And then the first appearance of the battle droids, which introduces two tropes of the of the trilogy: the busy look mm-hmm. of the films, yeah, and the unintentional comedy. Of robot design, yes, <laughs> and you know, and that's it... one of the big. I mean, th- you know, this is a problem that Lucas creates that follows yes. him to the end of this film for sure. Yeah, because they they never appear threatening in any way, shape, or form. For there's even fo- a there's third even of the battle the scene, we have yeah. to watch. You know, there's even be- literally behind the scenes footage of him taking Steven Spielberg around the set, showing him a model of a of a battle droid, and going. Yeah, but these aren't great because the Jedi's they just they just slice right through them. <laughs> like, wait a minute, you know that? And yet you but don't see it as a weakness? He's talk he <laughs> thinks it's a weakness for the Empire not the Empire, but for the Feder Trade Federation. Oh, that's the other thing that, that is is incredibly confusing about it being the Trade Federation mm-hmm. is that sometimes they just refer to it as the Federation. Yeah, right. And as someone as someone <laughs> who's used to the word Federation in Star Trek movies, yes. Federation means the it's good a good guys. thing. <laughs> but so I keep having to mentally adjust. Oh, they're not talking about the good guys now. Yeah. They're talking about the, bad the, guys. the baddies. And and throughout these this scene of the Jedi are arriving for uh, to negotiate with the Trade Federation, right? <laughs> Even now saying it out loud, it seems ridiculous. <laughs> and they're kind of mixing in what is familiar iconography from previous Star Wars movies. Yeah, my note is there's lots hitting, of hitting you with, yeah, hitting you with what's new at the same simultaneously. Uh-huh. So we get the Jedi's and the hoods, right? Obviously Obi Wan Kenobi, right? We have, I wrote down we have lots of I sense talk. Right. We've got a protocol droid. It's not C-3PO, but right. you know, we're familiar with that with that kind of a robot while we introduce, I don't know, eight new kinds of robots mm-hmm. in this scene. Um Yoda gets a name check. And again, like things that you <laughs> that you've heard before in Star Trek films, but it just said in a way that that makes you question what they're talking about so the first mention of the living force 
Yeah. And like, is the living force the force? Is it something different? Is it the exactly same? right? You're is confusing that what people me. Used What's to going the, on? Is that what people used to call the force, or <laughs> is it totally different from the force? And I think uh, <laughs> it doesn't help that they that even they call the trade dispute trivial. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's a dangerous game of making the the you know the the central <laughs> clog in your story. Yeah, yeah. Calling it trivial. Then we we the we first see the emperor or Darth Sidious, mm-hmm. which is or Palpatine, or, or one Palpatine. of his many 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 different names. Well, he's so he's. To an audience who's seen Return of the Jedi, he's recognizably the Emperor by a different name. Yeah. Also, they play his musical theme, so that, that helps <laughs> that with helps. identification. Case, and he case you're behind the times a little yeah, bit. Yeah, behind the eight ball. And we're used to him appearing via hologram, so none of this is any surprise to us. Sure. But this is where it's revealed for the first time that Darth is a title, not just yeah, exactly. first name. The right. first time. And now, and we're we, deep you know, into the series right now. Yeah, so there's a they're, they're throwing a lot of, a lot of new revised, and legacy mythology at you simultaneously in these scenes. Well, and I mean not right now, but we're going to get more mythology from the dark side later about, but it it, it makes no sense. Well, like, the what? Sith are brand new as well. Yeah, so you can have they've never existed, and that's before. what I'm speaking to directly is the Sith. Why, why, why do the Sith always just have a master and an apprentice, and that's it, just two? <laughs> it's not a good business model. It's the worst. Not only, not only is that the worst organizational model ever. Also, the other, the other kind of rule of the Sith is that the apprentice always kills the master. So, yeah. <laughs> how, how have they lasted for so long? No wonder they disappeared for generations. Yeah. They keep killing each other off. <laughs> and again, like, you know, we, we've... So, again, there's this mixture of of kind of wordy um, political drama. Well, it's not even political drama. It's like wordy just kind of political business. Mm-hmm. And total schlock. Yeah. Like clashing hard so the trade federation they, they're so much concerned about what's legal or and not yeah it's... it's like what you know they're like there's all these constitutional prevarications and all they're really doing is do we kill the jedi knights or not that's what they're <laughs> yeah, saying exactly but they dress it up in this kind of in these constitutional terms i'm not gonna do this i'm yeah. not gonna do that they keep saying things like that or yeah. should we do this can we do that is it legal to do this right Meanwhile, Darth is going to get on the hologram and say, kill them. Yeah. But, you know, I I like, after a very slow start, the action ramps up quickly and gets schlocky fast. So there's an explosion, (laughs) lightsabers, poison gas, killer robots coming at you. And I feel like this, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of, um, narrative hurdles in this movie to engagement. And I feel like this is, you know, once we got, got to this i think there must have been a sigh of relief in the audience of like oh okay good but it's a very i mean it's a temporary I can stop feeling thinking but... about trade routes yeah exactly <laughs> and we've got battle droids that look like bugs bunny talking comedic high-pitched voices and reference jokes from airplane mm-hmm. so you know they're You're good. not being taken seriously <laughs> 
Well, can we talk about that for a moment? Well, maybe I'll save it for Jar Jar. I mean, we're almost there anyway, but... Oh, but... <laughs> I don't think so. Um... <laughs> Come on, Tom. They cut and, some robots and... off and they stow away. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, this is... It's interesting because we get the, you know, the legacy lightsabers. Mm-hmm. But they're, like, more and less impressive simultaneously. Explain that. Well, they hack straight through those robot parts. Sure. You know, like a knife through butter. And, you know, and then they struggle to penetrate that metal door. It's it's also like a... They don't struggle to get through the door. The door is just thick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it, it was it just like... the. The kind of any sort of all the mystique of it was drained out and it felt like a demonstration of what it can do mm-hmm. in the same way you get like a late night infomercial for a Ginzu knife. You know, it's like it cuts through metal. Right. I and feel, it cuts through knives. I feel the same way about that uh, with the Jedi in general, because now mm. effects have gotten to a place where they can jump more. Why? Because we can handle that effect wise better. They can make things fly at you easier. Why? Because I can do that digitally now. Yeah. There was a restraint in the first three movies that I think really helped all Jedi powers and ma- and grounded them a little bit more. And here, you know, you start seeing the unraveling of that because Lucas, in his mind, they could always do so much more. And now mm-hmm. he can do more, or at least thinks he can do more with the effects-wise. But it, mm. you know, there's some there's something that doesn't sit right with me with any of it. It it does seem well, to cheapen it a little bit. Yeah, like that we see some in this scene some CGI jumping, which right doesn't look good. There, it's never looked good. Yeah, I saw a movie last week that had some CGI jumping and it looked terrible. Might have been made, might have been made by the same production company. Who knows? <laughs> I was gonna say some CGI train hopping. Perhaps. <laughs> but at this point, they, they still know when to cut back to live action when they do stuff like that. And yeah. that's what kind of strikes me going back to this movie, that they, that there's enough going on practically. It well, that's one of the um, reasons this movie is at, at the top of my list, because they mm-hmm. can do that and they can also engage with real environments more than occasionally. Yeah. And I think that helps um, this movie a lot. It helps ground the movie and make it feel more like a movie <laughs> as opposed to a video game. Sure. It's interesting, like, that another accusation in this movie that I sort of more or less agree with is, well, at least for large periods of the movie, there's no character development. It's just the characters narrating the story through mm-hmm. dialogue. Yeah. So the characters are essentially an extension of the opening crawl. Right. And yet, you know, you... you what you going back to what you were saying in the ranking episode about strong actors, uh, you know, a much maligned line: the negotiations were short. Mm-hmm. Even with this lame duck of a line, McGregor still captures this kind of whimsy of Obi Wan. Yeah, that we're all we're all looking for in the character, but they're very much working against the material, not with it. Yeah, I mean, I'll have more to say that about that later with other actors. I don't. It's a good start. It's it, like I, I I remember, like I I I remember 
Ewan McGregor feeling anonymous in this movie, but when I go back to it, he, he there's a few moments when there's a little twinkle in his eye. Mm-hmm. Maybe, probably because he's interacting with another human, and most of the rest of the time, he's, right. he's does nothing. He's reacting to nothing. Yeah. That's the thing that I think holds back this movie the most is that even really good actors, I'll, I'll say I'll give this to, you know, Liam Neeson. I think does it the best out of anybody. But Although you, he's clearly having a terrible time. Yeah, right. You can see it written all over his face. Exactly. He did so much so he refused to come back for what was clearly a scene written for him in the third movie. Right. Exactly. And that's and the th- doesn't work without him in it. Yeah. <laughs> You need you need that uh, end of Jedi appearance, mm-hmm. but but anyway to 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 the point, the other actors struggle, and you know a lot of these people are good actors. Uh, Ewan McGregor gets much better in the second and third movies. He gets more comfortable. I'd still say he's pretty. He's he's still working hard to do that prequel that tightrope of prequel acting where you've got enough of the actor who previously played the role and mm-hmm. enough of what you bring to it and there are moments like this when I, I'm like oh the line's not terribly good um, but I like the little half smile he does and the sense of mischief yeah. which is one of the things we associate with, with Alec Guinness's take on the role Yeah, and it was a wise it was a wise kind of choice to, to slip in there then we go you know then we go to Naboo mm-hmm for the first but not the last time in this movie. Mm-hmm. Keep going back to Naboo. Always um, in Naboo. The introduction of Queen Amidala, also we think. Yeah, who, the, who does he the... think he's fooling? <laughs> who is he trying to fool? Does he think he's fooling us? Who? Lucas. There's never a moment when oh, I don't Lucas. know. <laughs> I was like, is Queen Amidala a man? Yeah, no. That was a whole, that was a whole nother level. There's never a moment where I don't know whether I am watching Natalie Portman or Kira Knightley. But what's my question is what is the substitute? What is the subterfuge in aid of? Well, narratively, narratively, it's always just to. I mean, they drag this into the second movie as the first thing that happens. And I know, like it, like in in abstract, you go, oh, she, so she's protected, yeah. and so you know, she, it's like having a, it's like Saddam Hussein and his security. Yeah, exactly. You know, That's his, all it is. His doubles. Go back to the movie, watch it. There is not one moment where her being uh, her double somebody makes else any makes any difference. Narrative. No, yeah. The sub the subterfuge is treated as a, as as something grand, as like a brilliant masterstroke. Yes, exactly. And it's completely and it's anything pointless. but. <laughs> but and you know, obviously, I mean, she's visually striking. I'm a little uncomfortable with this sort of Asian fetish imagery that. We've seen far too much right. already in the movie. And her really arch accent, which still hasn't been explained. <laughs> and it, it kind of has this sort of performance art feel to right. it. Like it's a Bjork video or something. Right. I mean, if, <laughs> and, well, to the Asian yeah. side of it, it feels a little kabuki without a mask. Yeah, you know? and I think so... that, that's, that, that's what, we, you know we, know, we know how Star Wars was influenced by samurai movies right. and Japanese no theater, so... I guess I guess that's no. I'm sure that's what Lucas would say as well. Naboo itself, I mean, most it's it's kind of a a, a digitally upscaled Italy, mm-hmm. and I guess speaking to your point, it, there's a beauty and depth that we don't get in the later digital scenery, right? That is all about it being a real location. I mean, they've clearly worked on it, 
put matte paintings here and there. And, right, and, and that's the part that touched it up. But it's it's just touching up because it's just highlighting the kind of Renaissance. Yeah look that they want but that's part of what's frustrating about watching this movie is because you can recognize that they're in a real place that's really beautiful and and then you know a lot of uh, the pulled away shots a lot of those are striking mm -hmm. i mean very beautiful yeah. and you know amazingly done mm -hmm. and then you might be in a forest and you think well that's not a forest that's a <laughs> that's a digital backdrop of horseshit yeah it really is it 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 really elevates the the locations even even though they're they're hybrid mm -hmm. still really like the just having locations to work from elevates the material mm -hmm. for sure then so we were we're in, we're in another political meeting we're gonna uh, yeah <laughs> with the more characters just speaking to fill in plot points and not even elegantly mm -hmm. oliver ford davis's uh character and it's a line that's been commented on before, I think, on Star Wars Minute and various other fan commentaries. But, uh, you know, he, he says the, the disruption can mean only one thing, invasion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, disruption can mean many things. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't necessarily mean invasion. So all that is is filling in a plot point, and they're not even doing that. Well. Cleanly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well. <laughs> And, you know, at one point someone says, this could lead us into war. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is Star Pre-Wars. That's, that's Another my... <laughs> reason why this this would be better as a prequel to the trilogy. Because <laughs> it would show how the war started and then it could be, you know, the trilogy could, could be the start of the Star of Wars. Of the actual wars, war and stars. So the, but the Jedi could... stole away. Yeah, they stole away. But, you, you know, between... And this is where we get the robot segue. Yeah, we get... Which is always de always delight at seeing, because they think it looks like a, a speeder from Return of the Jedi, but it just looks like... At the height <laughs> of Segway mania, it just looks like that that less, less, uh, lesser episode of Frasier where Niles is on a Segway for the entire... For the year, whole episode. Like, eh, they just, they've just run out of ideas. And I think possibly the same year, even. It could be. <laughs> yeah, actually, now that you say it. And then we're going to meet Jar Jar. Yeah, and just before that, like, what are we, like, I don't know, 10 minutes into the movie, yeah, something like that? 13. And we have seen holograms of all sizes and shapes mm -hmm. so far. Yeah. We got we got little people holograms. Yeah. We got full size body holograms. Have we seen that We've spider seen... robot <laughs> walking with the emperor? Not yet. Okay. No, no, no. But that will... That, <laughs> robot legs are definitely a motif in these Definitely. Movies. But... Uh, We've seen we've seen Palpatine, <laughs> we've seen Palpatine as two different people yes, in two different holograms exactly. already. <laughs> it's it's like sometimes they're coming out of people's hands. Sometimes they <laughs> so it's they haven't decided on an aesthetic for the holograms as yet. Heard. I think that is like you know in the in the original trilogy there was, well I guess you know there's only really two holograms. There's the Leia hologram and then and then. The Luke's one and Jedi, which is much, which is full, but I guess so. I guess maybe this is consistent with what we know about holograms in this universe. All right, I take it all yeah. back. You, well done, you, well done, George. You talked yourself out of that one. You've you connected, just, you've connected the dots. Just did a that's whole like, thing all by yourself there. I. That's what it's like watching these movies. <laughs> I have to. I I taught myself rounds to so much yeah. of this because it seems counterintuitive, and then I think, why couldn't it be this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's talk Jar Jar. 
the source of all, possibly all the quotables for this <laughs> this <laughs> franchise. <laughs> Yusa in big doo doo. <laughs> we get the, the the animals scurrying through the forest. Right, we get which is where we see Jar Jar it's leveling like, Jar Jar and yeah, letting the it's like whatever the speeder, not the speeder, but the speeder, the big speeder, go over them. Yeah, and it reminds me of the sh- of the like the shot from Jurassic Park where those ostrich dinosaurs are chasing them, mm-hmm. but but with no visual unity of foreground with background. Yeah, exactly. It really doesn't work. No. Like you, when when you see when you see that in Jurassic Park, you're like, okay, they waited until they could do it. Mm-hmm. This feels like the opposite. They 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 want to do it, but they're not going to wait until it looks good. Yeah, and Jar Jar's always slightly out of sync with with the human interactions right. which doesn't help the mountain he has to climb as a character right and so <laughs> here's here's the final reason i ended up calling this movie bad bad <laughs> if you if you watch this the commentary for this movie I'd love to. What you're mostly going to hear is George... I'd love to do a commentary for this movie. Come on. <laughs> what you mostly hear is George Lucas saying, this is one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. And then he'll go on to explain why it's one of his favorite scenes. And the reason it's one of his favorite scenes is because look at Jar Jar. He really, like, it's a full three-dimensional character taking up space with another human being. And it just looks fantastic. That's not enough of a reason to make a movie. And I think it's why he made this movie. And it doesn't look quite as good as he thinks it does. And when you listen to the commentary, you'll also hear the visual effects people that made Jar Jar say things like, so Jar Jar has to be in the background here, and it was yeah. really hard for us to make it's him. Like, it's like Ra- it's like Rashomon. That yeah, the film exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's just he. They keep saying things like it was really hard for us to just let him sit in the background, you know, because we wanted to make him do things. And I just thought, what the fuck? You can't even yeah. just let him stand behind Obi Wan. Like that's just that's what too much the for constant you. Move- the constant movement is what is what struck me, and yeah. and again it goes back to the, it's it's like they they think it's the most modern thing mm-hmm. that's ever been in a movie, but it's so old timey. There's the retro racism, mm-hmm. you know. He's he he is a he's a stereotype, a, a racist Afro Caribbean, yeah. uh, 30s Hollywood stereotype is even it's even like actual precedence of racist stereotypes that he's based on right. from the animated world. The constant movement reminds me of old cartoons. That's what you had to do in old yeah. cartoons. That kind of dynamic. You know when they, used to, the... when they used to do this? The old cartoons? Yeah, when they just used to go up, up and, and down. down and they... That's like cartoon cow. Yeah. It was like 20 years of just cartoon cows <laughs> got just shrugging their shoulders. Yeah. And of course, but the immediate president that they're riffing off, which is already 10 years old, is who framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. And if you look at if you look at Jar Jar's movement in this scene, it is textbook Roger Rabbit. Right. Now, let me say something nice. Oh, because I what you know, th- there's so much in this movie that is you know you hit the nail on the head where you're watching Jar Jar Binks and he's a little off compared to the other people in this scene. It just doesn't quite work. And then every yeah. once in a while, and yet I still could recognize it as a 
pretty remarkable achievement. What they've done is, mm. is you know, it. I don't think it looks great. I don't think it certainly doesn't look as good as they think it does. But it is a jump. It's a jump in technology that is impressive. And then there are times, very few and far between, but there's like a half a dozen times where I'm looking at Jar Jar Binks sitting in a speeder or a car or something, mm-hmm. and he actually looks amazing. Yeah. Just sitting well, there, not doing anything. I'll now go, and I'll go back to this, when uh, his introduction in, in Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. they figured out, how to have him in frame without being without constantly moving or yeah. you know constantly juggling blamanges or whatever right. just so you know to just so you give him something to do they i think by the beginning of attack of the clones they figured it out the problem is no one wants to see him mm-hmm. uh so you know he's at, he's kind of written out of the movie now i want to bring um, up something else i don't know if i should bring it up until we meet annie maybe i'll hold it well i just one more thing to say about about judge yeah. in relation to that kind of asynchronicity that when he's running and it speaks exactly to what you the visual effects people commentary that you were talking about when Jar Jar's running behind the two Jedis Mm -hmm. it looks for a second as if he only exists as a character in Obi-Wan's mind (laughs) because only Obi-Wan is looking in the right place yeah like Liam Neeson's way fucked because he's he's thinking about you know going back to his hotel room and ordering what am I going to have for dinner Maybe I'll become an action hero. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but uh, well, uh, I mean, <laughs> I can't believe it's taken me this long to get here, but I can. This is our, our, <laughs> this is our first James Bond reference. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. The Underwater Breathers mm. from Thunderball. Thunderball. Right. And it's so specific. Like, because, y- y- I mean, you know, George, George Lucas, Lucasfilm. You know they've made they've made a whole cycle of movies based on the Bond films, so right. this is no accident that the Jedi's are using these underwater breathers that sure. were gadgets in, in Thunderbolts. It's also a forewarning of how slow it's going to be <laughs> once they get underwater. Right. When you start thinking about Thunderbolt, you go, "Oh, we're going to be underwater for, for a, a while. while," and we are <laughs> for a long while. Anytime I watch this movie, of... too, I keep thinking. I don't want to get in the water with a heavy robe. I don't want to get in the water at all. Especially when the water looks that unreal. Mm-hmm. Like when they get un it's almost like it's almost like the, the like um one of those old Disney movies where like a Mary Poppins thing where there's there's like an animated realm and a live action yeah. realm. Oh, I suppose Roger Rabbit's another thing. Yeah. You know, when he it goes feels into like Toontown for the first time. But not intentionally. But when they go underwater they, and they come over it's that pure little animation. Hill. Yeah, it's pure fantasy. Down and the there. other thing and that's I, amazing about that, that is intentional. But the 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 sort of I don't think they think the transition is is so drastic. Right. Well, the other part that <laughs> really cracks me up, going back to the commentary with the effects people, they talk about that particular scene, kind of coming over the hill and seeing the whole city down there, and they said. I mean, just for weeks and weeks, we couldn't get it right. And then we got this and we all exploded with cheering and clapping and we finally got it. And so to think that that was their frame of mind and I keep thinking, like you said, it's completely animated. It takes me out of everything. They just want to get that that George Lucas stamp. Right. You know, they don't want to get his Sharpie. (laughs) 
the crossing shit out on their, on on their original 1700 hours of work on their original artworks yeah. <laughs> they just want to get that stamp on the white area below right. it i maybe it's a it might be a prem too premature for this but i did wonder whether the shot of you mcgregor underwater was a callback to train spotting oh you I wonder whether like train spotting was enough of a, a cult hit to, because you know the most famous scene from that is yeah he goes into the toilet right. and and then you know it has an underwater fantasy mm-hmm. and it did make me I don't hmm. know if he's enough of a film star for that to to read but it certainly read to me I I didn't give it much of a thought transparent bubble shields yeah so you can't shoot Sit. through them but you can walk through them well the the it, this is another motif if you across these three movies. Transparent bubble shields. <laughs> We've already seen them. One of the battle droids has them. Yeah. We're going to see more of them. Many more oh, of them. Oh, all the time. So it makes me think along the lines of what you were saying about, you know, it, all, the only thing that matters is getting the effects right, mm-hmm. not actually doing anything with it. They could do this effect. They had to find ways to use it because it appears so much so often. This film. I mean, again, like in that sort of spirit of talking yourself round to something that that you immediately dislike. Mm-hmm. This is a deliberately different terrain that we haven't seen in Star Wars before, but that's the problem with it, mm-hmm. as well as the innovation. Yeah. Because it's so unlike anything associated right. with Star Wars. Well, it's a compulsion. It's like Avatar. Yeah. It's, it's Avatar. It's, it's so funny with these movies because they have two compulsions. One is to constantly go back to the sand environment that we know. Tatooine. So it's George like... George Lucas ta- fighting himself. Tatooine is you, the center of the fucking universe. The other compulsion is to give us a different terrain in every movie and like give somebody something different to watch. I just realized what it's... this prequel trilogy is. <laughs> Go ahead. It's George Lucas's personal fight club. <laughs> He's Tyler Durden and whatever Edward Norton's called. The narrator. I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, that's he doesn't have a name, does he? Yeah. Because he's Tyler Durden. Yeah, it's it's um, it's just so it's so unlike anything even associated with Star Wars. Right. That it it does really feel like uh, this. I think in the, this in a movie that sometimes feels like it's not a Star Wars movie. This feels the least like a Star Wars movie. I think is what I'm trying to say. This underwater. Well, sequence. this moment, yes. Yeah. And I'm the one that argues that this movie feels like a Star Wars movie. I know. But I, this which, is I'm, I'm... this is the moment where I cannot defend yeah. that. I just can't. In well, any way, I, shape, and I don't. Form. You know, I, I again, like you know, I I, I go back and forth because. You know, this is a a performance coming up that I I rather like when they they break through a transparent bubble shield, obviously, mm-hmm. into the underwater city. And we get the we leader. Get, we get, yeah, we get an early version of Ewan McGregor's visible confusion meme, which uh, <laughs> is actually from Attack of the Clones, but it starts here in the underwater city. Does, He's got yeah. some visible confusion on his face, and then we're introduced to B- Boss Nass as voiced by Brian Blessed. Well, and not so just that. We, we, and we, it's like it's not just Flash Gordon like. Yeah, we've got one. We've of the got one of the of actors. <laughs> I forget his name. What's his name? And the what's the bird guy? What's his bird name character in Flash Gordon? Uh, Gordon's alive. I don't actually know what his name is. Right. <laughs> and this doesn't help 
Judge. This doesn't help our attachment to Jar Jar as well. See, but that's the thing not... is that I feel like George Lucas thinks it's going to help. But what the problem is, Boss Nass is a, is is a more interesting character. He is, yeah. Played with the greatest respect for Ahmed Best, who's you know sure undeserved shit as a result of this mm-hmm. film by a better actor, right? Who has figured out how to do this Gungan thing? Yeah. And this is the first of what will probably because, be many anecdotes well, from, and I think from it's... The, Bri- the Brian Blessed autobiography, <laughs> which I own. But he said, so all those noises that he puts in the, and the, yeah. the various, cl- all the clicking, that was because he needed to find a way as an actor to break up the nonsense. He says this in his autobiography. That's great. He said there were... George Lucas sent him a script and all his dialogue was nonsense. So he as an actor thought, well, what's the best way to disguise this? Slow it down and every so often do a noise. That's amazing. So that it might it might sound to the human ear like dialogue. And it works, though. That's the thing. Because when you watch this scene, yeah. again, uh, effects-wise, there are moments where he looks good. And most of it, you think he doesn't look good at all. Yeah. But there are moments he does look good. And then there are moments that feel so grounded. I start thinking Jar Jar's not as bad as I think he is. But that's the actor yeah. doing it, you know? Right. He also he also tells the story of um receiving <laughs> receiving the script, the Phantom Manuscript, which mm-hmm. by the way he had faxed to a um to like a like a, I guess a Kinko you know, the version of like a Kinko's <laughs> So this this heavily copyrighted NDA protected script, um, he's having fax to like a public <laughs> copy shop. And apparently like it was coming in at such a rate that the sheets were flying out. So it wasn't even that he was in a public place and anyone could see the script of the Phantom Menace who happened to walk into that Kinko's. It was also that they were literally flying around the coffee shop. <laughs> asking to be taken and leaked on the internet but he, he says that what he read like he he skipped immediately to his part which is such a brian blessed thing to do <laughs> he like he didn't read anything before that boss nas and he was convinced that it was typos <laughs> that it was wrong that it had been printed wrong uh-huh and he called production office and said i think you... i think something's wrong i think something's wrong with the with the screenplay i don't think it printed properly i think there was i think there might be a problem with your printers or your your word <laughs> processor or something and then you know he, they would they Just sort of find humored, <laughs> and they humored him they were like oh, okay we'll look into that and then he went back and read the whole thing and in context he was like oh okay <laughs> now i get it <laughs> that's amazing all right why don't we take a break after that great story. Sure. And then come back. <laughs> Called uh, Absolute... If you want to uh, buy it or I don't know, rent it from your local library, that's probably the best <laughs> first step. Absolute Boulder Dash is the name. All right. The... I'm hooked. We'll be right back, everybody.
Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are discussing the George Lucas opus, The Phantom Menace from 1999. The perfect description of it. Oh, it's an opus. <laughs> it's his magnum it opus. It's his, it's his version of a David Lean movie. Hmm, interesting. Don't you think? <laughs> Is... Oh, no, I, I, don't, just, I was. I'll, I'll tell you what I was a, a question I was about. You to almost ask. turned inside out when I said that. I, I know, but l- <laughs> let me tell you the question I'm going to ask, and then feel free to say that's the most fucking ridiculous question I've ever had in my life. Fine. Is this a more personal movie for George Lucas than American Graffiti? Oh wow! Is that just? Oh, is that just? Re- is that just overreading? I think the problem with it is you it's two different George Lucases. Well, one is biographical, the other is artistic. Yeah. But you have to I consider reality where he was in his fantasy, life, right? Yeah, and I mean, yeah. you know, what's in his brain was probably there all along, but it's two different George Lucases in the sense of this, you know, struggling kid who's just coming up and trying to, you know, with his buddies Steven Spielberg and Coppola and they're all pals and De Palma and they just they, they want their dreams to come true and you know one by one they all kind of happen and American Graffiti was his dream coming true so that he could go on to make Star Wars but once he makes Star Wars and then the next two films you know he becomes a whole other different gentleman he's a different kettle of fish I think but in that in that respect, I think Phantom Menace goes back a little more to the roots of George Lucas because there's a there's a big set piece in the middle of the film which is yeah that speaks highly to reminiscent of, of American Graffiti and a desire sure. to get back to that kind of filmmaking. Yeah, within within a fantasy milieu. Well said. But then you know you could say exactly the same about the opening half hour of Star Wars as well. It was. That mm-hmm. was him comic. That was that was his transition from American Graffiti to to science fiction. To science fiction, because Luke's, you know, Luke essentially is 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 his own version of American Graffiti at the beginning of the film. Hmm. It's been said before, but one bears repeating. Let's talk about something that. <laughs> let's talk about something that made me hate this film when I first saw it. Jedi mind trick on Boss Ness. I went along with that. 
But I, I feel also like it knew was a bit of a character. It was a bit of a character assassination on Boss Nass. I think he was set up as it was. He wasn't yeah. set up as weak-minded. Yeah. In the same way that say Wado is, and yet somehow Wado was able to resist right. the mind trick, and he isn't. I feel like it should have flipped that. I knew it would have come back. Narratively, you can't do it with Wado. Exactly, but character-wise, you yeah. should do it with Wado and not with Boss Nass. Right. Because the last thing he seems is weak-minded. Yes. What they should have done at, was... At least at this point, he obviously has some kind of... What they could have know, done was do a rule of... Brain hemorrhage later They could have done a rule of puts... three. They could have had him try it three times, and each time it keeps not working, and by the end he's like, Gotta fucking say, fuck, what's the point of having Jedi powers? And once again, my favorite variation is of, of the Jedi mind trick is in Attack of the Clones. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. In this in this trilogy, obviously. Yeah. It's not yes. it's not say better than uh, you don't need to see our identification. Right. That would be crazy. <laughs> go on, you were saying. Well, I was saying, you know, the boss is gonna make Jar Jar go with them. I mean, not make, he's he's made to make. Yeah. Well, I I gotta say, of all the bad calls that are made in this trilogy. Mm-hmm. This Gungan may be of help. Historically, may have been the very worst. Yeah. Because it's what's interesting. Uh, <laughs> Qui Gon takes on two different companions, both of whom combine to lay waste to the galaxy. Right. Because <laughs> Jar Jar Binks starts the Clone Wars. Yeah. And then Anakin begins the Empire. Mm-hmm. And though, so it terrible calls. It really didn't. It really puts Qui-Gon under the fucking lamp, doesn't it? If he hadn't have picked those two up... Right. I mean, I know I've talked about how tangential this movie is to the rest of the trilogy, but if you think about it in those terms, this is the this is the most important thing that's happened that's in the happened galaxy. In that, the galaxy, right. That, that uh, he ended up um, stowing away on a, on a Naboo invasion ship. Mm. Well, I was going to say... And I think it's one of your favorite lines, right? I mean, I was going to talk about there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> no, <laughs> I like the line. Again, it feels like it feels like a line that would work better in a a, a different movie, perhaps a, a Dis- an animated <laughs> Disney movie. Yeah, right. You know, which is concerned with fables and creatures and, and you know, Well, that's fantasy. the thing that bugs me. This is one of my moments where Lucas can't get out of his own way. What I never liked about this set piece of the movie is they get into their whatever their little hover boat little life aquatic yeah submarine. their life aquatic boat submarine and they're cruising along and they keep coming upon bigger and bigger and shittier fish <laughs> you know one of those fish has arms i've never noticed <laughs> I know, that before right exactly and clearly and clearly no one in the submarine noticed because because if quite quite sorry he'd be like that fish has arms and so he's so, that's the thing that bothers me. He's so nonplussed. When I was watching this movie for the they first time. They don't know time, what's there, do they? They don't exactly. know what's there. They don't have a clue what's there. And, and that's a fundamental that. problem. Yes, it is. It and is. in other Star Wars movies, whether you're a Jedi or not, when danger presents itself, danger presents itself. You're in fucking trouble. And to have mm. these Jedi just not fucking give a shit mm. grinded against me in a way. So it like the choice to, to do something effects wise, 
that you clearly are yeah. not relating to your actors ends up causing a narrative or character problem. And so, you know, it's like a house of cards. Everything starts falling to shit for me. Yeah. And it, I mean, it just still but to this it, but day it, when I see it, it just bugs the shit out of me. But if it, if it if it didn't have the burden of having to be the first Star Wars movie in a new trilogy, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily care about that. You'd just be like, "This is another stage on their journey, on their mm-hmm. quest." I would think yeah, of the another... Jedi differently, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We do a. Is this our first star wipe in the movie? It's a big one. We get a big star wipe to the uh, space station yeah. at this point, which mm-hmm. looks great. And I, fi- I like, this is like, this is where the sort of legacy genre feel starts to kick in. Mm-hmm. This abrupt cut away from the Little Mermaids to, <laughs> to something that feels like a Flash Gordon serial, right? You can and, yeah. and. and and then that's all. But also, kind of feels like a Star Wars movie. Well, you, you, you know, know, the the Emperor way. hologram yeah. helps, and I don't think we've 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 spoke about Ian McDermott's performance as well. But you know, he never misses a beat. Never for a in, second in in any of even these when movies. he's hamming it up, especially when he's hamming know? it up. He exactly. hands it up better than most <laughs> most actors would ever dream of of doing. But like, right. even by this point in the movie, he's already called someone stunted slime. Which you know, you know, is a line he wrote himself because you've heard the rest of the dialogue in the movie. You know, Lucas isn't capable of that. Lucas hadn't written that. What are you crazy? Um, maybe Carrie Fisher did, who kind of did some, who was mm-hmm. a script doctor on this movie. And you know, his hologramic appearances are, are it's worth the price of a mission alone. Although mm-hmm. once again, we're we're talking about politics and economics and historical democracies. I mean, <laughs> of course, like this is well, this yeah. is a film that's aimed even more at children than the original trilogy, so, and yet somehow, again, that Temple of Doom paradox—it's both more adult and more mm-hmm. family friendly simultaneously, which is very jarring. Well, but this is this doesn't go to a level that temple of doom does and this is one of my major problems yeah there's a slave with a bomb in his head for possibly all of the movie i don't know if they never go back to that maybe that bomb's still in him he's keeping it (laughs) but no hearts are getting ripped he's getting it he's keeping it unexploded with the power of the force uh well okay i concede that but i guess what i'm saying is this movie in particular with two characters, with Jar Jar and Anakin, mm. this movie is aimed directly at small children in a way that none of the other movies are mm. <laughs> in the entire series, and I don't understand the choice. And I don't get at all hiring a ten year old. Well we'll go back to we'll to, go back to, to, to that. In this well, that's film. a bigger conversation. We'll we'll go back to that and I agree with you. So But I I wanna get to that at some point, but you, you know, you brought up yeah, this point, no, I, I, and that's part of my problem. I see. I don't have a I, problem I with I, that choice of of directing it to smaller children. Oh, I do. But you, well, okay. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's not. You know, it's not my preference because be, because but it's they, so overt. Right, but the, for me, the problem is is the is the contrast with making everything simultaneously more adult. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, if George Lucas, if you ask George Lucas, he'd say, well, this, you know, it's the Pixar method. There's something for the grown-ups and something for the kiddies. 
Mm. Um, that's why, because you know, the, the the adults get their Senate politics, and the and yeah. then you know the <laughs> kids, the, not... the, the the toddlers get their poop jokes, right? And they're farting camels, and the Greg Luganus jump into the water. Sure, it's it's I guess the 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 parts where he's going for the comedy, they're so broad and so young yeah. that they. They isolate me. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a to- the comedy and is. I a find total that misfire. frustrating. Yeah. Apart from McDermott, and in the end, maybe. yeah, it's yeah. He has the only funny. But in the end, it's one of the you know, it's another tick in the bad box. Sure. And I I you know I watched this movie and enjoyed it so much more. Mm. All three of these movies I enjoyed more than I ever had before. Another another way that you can adjust your brain and try and enjoy the underwater sequence. Think of it as a theme park mm-hmm. simulator ride. Well, that's all it is. I know, but if you watch it in that vein, then suddenly, you know, you stop thinking why there's so many underwater creatures. And you think, oh, another underwater creature. Another obstacle yeah. to evade. It doesn't feel like Star Wars. It feels like Star Tours. That's, that's, that's a, I mean, that is a poster quote, sir. <laughs> I also, th- but I also think, and I like this movie. I think it's a good movie. Yeah. I, th- I think that's also a little bit of an insult to Star Tours. <laughs> Star Tours has a far more complex narrative than this. That's great. I love the fact that, like, so much, so much, because this, uh, this movie is shot on film but highly but with fully digitalized sequences and Mm -hmm. when they come up from the water there's the kind of it's like you go from one artificial world into another like the world like when they arrive up on the surface just like everything just looks as artificial when they get up there right i think that's that's hilarious we haven't talked something we haven't talked about yet john williams and you know we've we talked before about he's got one score spread over a number of that's what you've talked about. Well, you you, you agree? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, tell don't tell me that this invasion music isn't just him pulling from Last Crusade. The Nazi theme of the Last <laughs> Crusade and the inv- the Naboo invasion movies is identical. All right, I I admit I'll at least admit this: you can pay attention to those details in a way where they sail over my head. So you're probably it's right. really funny. Like in the. Uh, but I listen to the Indiana Jones theme, and I listen to the Star Wars theme, and I hear different music. It's it's the same. It da 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 da. It's that sound. <laughs> you lost me. Like, that sounded like a. That sounded like Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> Pop Goes the Weasel. Esteban, Esteban. <laughs> I mentioned the Indiana Jones theme and the Star Wars theme, and you responded with. Da, 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 ba, 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 no, da. the Nazi theme from Last Crusade and <laughs> the Naboo Invasion movement. Da, 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 da. It's the same. But it's really funny when you see him in the behind-the-scenes <laughs> footage conducting the London Symphonic Orchestra, talking uh-huh. as if his scores are in any way different from each other. It's hilarious. Like he says, don't, don't be afraid to play the... To, 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 don't uh, play the volume too loud on those nuanced notes. And it's like he get he get a better job out of his musicians if he just went. Has anyone seen Jaws? That's what I want right now. <laughs> anyway, but uh, again, once we once we get out of the water, <laughs> there are some just ducks 
Space ducks. <laughs> Straight up ducks. It reminds me of um. It reminds me of um when you go. Have you been on jungle the Jungle Cruise ride at um Disneyland? Sure. Like when you see that sometimes there are just real ducks in there and, and inside yeah. all the animatronic. And it really throws you off. And you just like, you look at it, you go, oh, that's just a duck. That's just a real duck. And then the <laughs> duck looks at you like, what do you want from me? And uh, it's, <laughs> I'm facing this yeah. way, my friend's facing this One way. One hippo's facing this way, another hippo's facing that way. <laughs> um, but anyway, the straight up ducks, which I guess brings us back to reality. And then the Greco Roman city which is this the, mm-hmm. this medieval capital city, is again beautiful. There's a beautiful... Be- you said, you know, that this is... The best way to look at these movies is visually. There's a beautiful shot mm-hmm. of Queen Amidala looking out the window. So I, at that point, I was like, if this was a silent movie, this is this would have been the perfect image. Right. Um, and in fact, someone did a, uh, a fan There's a moment a fan of silent of, acting. Of this as a silent movie. They... They oh, put really? it in the traditional, in the, um, what is it, the 4-3, did, did a monochrome filter on it, right. oh. made it all silent, cut it down to like to like uh, an hour and something, and worked oh, really wow. well. All right. But go on, what were you going to say? It just reminded me of something from, I think, uh, the Sith. There, I think there's a moment of silent acting from mm. her. Where I thought, well, all I she can't does in George that movie Lucas is letting her do all, this. All she does in this movie is look <laughs> in that movie's look out of windows. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, but I, I know I noticed that uh, as well as you know the the costume design is just going wild with her um, outfits. Well, the Jedi's are going to meet up with the Queen, and well, they so they get so they formulate a plan, right? The battle droids and the Trade Federation have taken the palace. Yeah, and they've got the the fully digital battle droids surrounding them, and yeah. Oliver Ford Davis doesn't know where to look. It's really clear, but credit to him, <laughs> he makes an educated guess, and he nearly gets it right. <laughs> um, and and then the Je- yeah, and then the Jedi, you know, they arrive, and again they just start cutting through those robots like butter. Yeah, yeah. And again, like... and, and so this is the weird thing about this movie. I feel sorry for all the wrong characters. <laughs> so when I see them like the slicing through the battle droids, I just think, "Oh, poor, poor droids." And then yeah. later on in the movie, like there's a couple of other characters, are like, "I shouldn't be identifying with these people," but they're the only realized characters in the movie, <laughs> and some more jumping as well. And we talked about in Return of the Jedi, I, I kind of that my personal complaint about the Ewoks different mm-hmm. from most people's complaint is that they try too much to insert them into the act the main action that uh, they try to give them right. too much to do but the opposite problem here with Jar Jar because he's at the center of the action all the time but he doesn't do anything and he's never doing anything, never doing anything right, except yeah. like you know turning around juggling some blamanges mm-hmm. uh, you know it's, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's, it's it's he's doing nothing and everything at the same time and you know part of that is probably the frustration for the movie as a whole because the first time you're watching it you're watching this character and you might be frustrated by yeah. him just by Confused. virtue of how he looks and you think he he doesn't look good enough yeah. 
But really, your frustration is probably with he's there all the time and doing nothing. Yeah, that's it. That's so. There's not a reason for him to be there. I don't think by any means Jar Jar is the problem of this film, but I think that's a problem with Jar Jar. Well said. Speaking of problems in sequels, Sophia mm -hmm. Coppola is one of the handmaids. Yeah. Not doing her reputation for problematic belated sequels any good here, I don't think. <laughs> so <laughs> the Jedi do something here, which is like George Lucas was a huge Star Trek nerd before he'd made Star Wars. And he does something that you see happen in a lot of Star Treks and Doctor Who's of old, where Qui-Gon who seemingly is getting tired with just slashing through the battle droids, now tries mm -hmm. to confuse them. Like Kirk would try and oh. confuse a computer. Like he keeps answering uh -huh. the same question with the same answer, the different questions with the same answer, and you see the battle droid go, ah, 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 and then he just slashes oh, yeah, through them anyway. Right. But it's like a total halfway yeah. house of, you're not committing to either <laughs> bit. Right. <laughs> but you know, it's, it, the, the, it's like in a, in a 60 science fiction show, a human would say two plus two equals five to a computer and it would blow up. You know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's Homer Simpson on the line. <laughs> exactly. <theory>. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do you understand everything I've said to you? Yes. <laughs> when you see the, the costumes on those pilots that they, that they free, it's like it's full on matinee mm -hmm. cereal, even more so than the original. Like it, it it's yeah. It's like, it's the it, it's the space operas that I haven't seen that Star Wars must be based mm -hmm. on. <laughs> it's right. this, yeah, exactly. Because it's so it's like you know, it's like the Rocketeer or something. That kind of it yeah. does. Yeah, it does look like the Rocketeer. You're right. And uh, we you know it's we have a whole scene. It's funny because. You know, this portion, well, not just this portion, but a lot of this movie, because there's so many battle droids. And Joe Johnston was a droids. Lucasfilm um, mm -hmm. alumni. So, anyway. Yeah. But it feels repetitive, because they're downstairs, they're slicing robots, they get into the throne room, they're slicing robots. Now they get into the hangar, and they're slicing robots. And this is not this know? is not the last time they will do the same exact thing on Naboo in the same place. It's going to come back in the exact same way in the in the end of the, at the end of the movie, you're right. And they get in the in the famous reflective metal ship. Yeah. Uh again, not about making the coolest design but simply flaunting an effect they know they can do. So they know they can do this mm -hmm. reflective surface. In fact, we've known that they can do it all the way back to your favorite effect from Terminator 2. Right, we're seeing yeah, exactly. the reflection in the uh, the um, the guy the, the helicopter uh, the helicopter in the helicopter, pilot. and they've just made a whole ship out of that effect, essentially. Right. Well, and I don't know. It's it's funny because when I was watching the movie with the commentary, there were moments where they said, "So we built a little model here. This is a model." Oh yeah, there's a ton of model work. And there's so much model work in the movie, and I realized you would never know that it's a model because it's up against a fake digital background, yeah. and that digital background ended up making your great model look like mm -hmm. a digital effect. That's true. It's a really good point. And it kind of, you know, it actually cheapens the model a bit. Yeah. I don't know how or why that happens, but to the naked eye, yeah. that's, that's what happened to me when I watched the movie. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. But... From what you said in the ranking episode, this is where you start really liking the movie. 
as they're escaping from Naboo. Well, yeah, I like... This is the portion where... Our... This is the only movie of the three that I think has a really good center portion of the film, second act. Well, that's not true. I like half of... <laughs> half of Attack of the Clones, second act. So many qualifiers <laughs> there. I couldn't even begin to break down the number of qualifiers in that one sentence. <laughs> This is, uh... but this is the most complete film. Oh, I agree with that. In the yeah. in the in the middle of the movie, I mean, it, I, so this is this is where this is where I'll go to bat for the movie. Okay. And in a way that most people wouldn't try and defend this movie, which is as a prequel, the the reintroduction of R two D two I think is done brilliantly well. I wouldn't change a thing I about how... disagree. Oh, I think it's perfect. What, what would you do differently? It's the perfect well, one, prequel. One, I wouldn't bring them... Perfect prequel introduction. One I, one, I wouldn't bring him back at all. Well, J.J. Abrams he, obviously he agreed with now? you because he, <laughs> he put him to sleep for three movies. <laughs> but I well, think his that little first... ball went around. So you don't like the ball? I'm fine. I'm fine with BB-8. It's the marginalization of R2-D2 that I don't like. But go on. Well, I I think I think it shows a lack of confidence. I think it's a crutch that you have to go back to characters that we know and love. But if you're gonna do it, you can't create something new. But if you're gonna do it, this is great because all it's like, it's the perfect prequel reintroduction because you see where he came from and you see the moment he comes into his own. Yeah, but he's brave now. So you see, he's just one. He's just one of many, you know, one of many astromech droids. Yeah. And then they take them all out on the roof, and he's the only one that doesn't die. And suddenly they're all hailing him as a hero, and they're like the special little droid. That's, that's perfect. If I was, if I, if I, I had guess, to write that scene, I wouldn't do anything differently. I guess you're right. I was thinking he was too brave, but I guess three PO is more of the coward. He's not. He's not brave. It's all a misunderstanding. He's just the only one that doesn't get blown away, and he's been riding <laughs> yeah, that I, reputation ever I'm since. I'm saying, I'm saying the R two that I know would be like, would would go out on that wing and take a look and say, "What the fuck? I'm not going out there. That's stupid." But it's before he's developed a personality, possibly. Get the fuck out of here! But this is origin story, and they do it efficiently. And I just think it's a great—it's a great action sequence. It's a great space-based sequence to start with. It's far better than what all the business he's doing with those fucking bird robots in *Revenge of the Sith*. Again, I agree. the worst version of this. <laughs> it's all in *Revenge of the Sith*. I—I I, well, all right. You might have turned me around. I just think you know. There's so much you could say about these movies as prequels getting legacy characters wrong and introducing them mm -hmm. in the wrong way. And this is a an example of getting it right, I think. Maybe and I'm there's no dialogue, which of is it. always a boon. But that is great, yeah. <laughs> I think it might be the coupling. I think it might be R2 and C3PO. Yeah, it doesn't work. Having... I agree. And I think, I think CPO, okay. C3PO is done horribly, but... Yeah, that's the part I think they that just I think hurts me more, yeah. and I'm probably connecting R2 to that unfairly. But it's just a nice little self-contained sequence. Because it all feels a little too incestuous. 
Oh, and yeah, later on, yeah. none of this makes sense because no. Darth Vader's gonna see three PO and R two D two in the original trilogy and not fucking recognize them. So that's bothersome. Like you, you write yourself. That's not you, even the most retro. That's not even the most egregious those, example. Those of that. movies worse. That's not even the most egregious <laughs> example of that. Go ahead. I can't. Well, it's in. It's in. Well, there's one later. There's one in the pod race in this movie, but I guess we'll get there. Um, when, right, we, when we get there Rick Ollier he begins as he means to go on just saying out loud what is immediately obvious there's the blockade <laughs> yes we, so we yeah. didn't see it. And there's so much of that in these movies but he is particularly I mean he's a, he's a live action Basil exposition mm-hmm. he really is if you listen to every piece of dialogue that comes out of his mouth <laughs> it's not only exposition but needless exposition but one we already know, yeah. Yeah, that's been already been done visually. Maybe he's like uh, for the hearing impaired. For the, well, let no, me ask the you sight this, impaired. <laughs> Not the hearing impaired. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna get past the blockade and we're gonna go to Tatooine. Yeah, now, and we hear about it's not the this movie's. It's not this movie's fault that we keep going back to Tatooine. But do you blame the movie for going back to Tatooine? I I think it's it's a it's one of those things that, in abstract, no, I think we should. We should just forget about Tatooine for a while. Mm-hmm. I guess this is really only the third movie that we've had Tatooine in. That's the true. fatigue kind of sets in after because the other yeah the the uh, the Book of Boba Fett is the like next the trilogy the, hasn't come out. Book yet. of Boba Fett is the straw that brought the camel's back when it came to Tatooine. I think that's true. But it's I mean again like it's it's a, it's a way for them to throw out some original trilogy references like you know oh it's owned mm-hmm. by the Huts and. We keep mentioning right. the huts. Yeah, but we're not going to go to Mos Eisley. We'll go to a different port. Mos Espa? Just a CD. Yeah. Yeah, I forget. Mos Espa, I think, right? Yeah. And and we get another racial stereo- <laughs> racial well, stereotype we, for a creature. In, in, between, in between them arriving, you know, deciding to go to Tatooine because their hyperdrive is broken. Right. Which, for some reason, they can't fix. And in between that, we cut away and we get the first appearance of Darth Maul, who, you know, we're yeah. pretty far into the movie and our, our villain has been introduced so in hologram form. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite an underwhelming introduction to what will turn out to be <laughs> appropriately for quite an underwhelming character. Uh. And that first mention of the Sith. So that changes, mm-hmm. I mean, that changes everything. And to, an, you know, we've had it for 20 24 years now of knowing this but that reframing changes everything we think about the emperor and darth vader because why because up to this point they could be the exceptions to the rules it could just be that they were you know it just this these two guys found each other and formed an empire. Like the the Siths are normally good. No, but, but no, but it, these two could be one-offs. Now we know they're part of a historical cult of master and apprentice. Cult, yeah, okay. and that changes everything. But so big, some big, big mythology moves in this movie. Well, and we're not done. Yeah. Did your audience, when you first saw this, did did the audience clap when they said R two D two for the first time? Did you get to get a round of applause? Probably. I remember yeah. it very clearly. I actually saw this movie for the first time in New York, which is odd. Oh yeah. Because I'm because I I'm have British and I now of... live in California. 
<laughs> yeah, I have vague recollections of clapping for 3PO and R2. Oh, not 3PO. I think by that point, people were like, is that even 3PO? And it, and I like that too. I like that too, because it was clearly, you know, it was an applause moment. And it was like, mm-hmm. you know, this is a, this, give him his hero entrance. So I liked I liked all around I liked I liked the way that they reintroduce R2D2. All I right. wish they'd have remembered how they did that and implemented it elsewhere <laughs> in this movie and in this franchise. <laughs> uh, at this point we get a yeah. I guess yeah, I still I still always felt as though it showed a fundamental lack of imagination for a man with lots of imagination. But it, it that's what's great about it, is it's so simple. It's like what what was he an instrument droid, and at some point he broke off from that, and this is when it happened. Mm-hmm. Simple. It's like it's real. It's just like no that portion of great. it. I just mean having them. Everyone in the else movie around him died. <laughs> he was left on his own. <laughs> it's like the beginning of the living daylights. It's like you kill you kill <laughs> yes. that double O, you kill that double O, and who's left? James Bond. Scared of monkeys, but James still Bond. still the best of the bunch. <laughs> Well, and then, uh, you know, once once we're on the planet and we decide we have to go in town. Oh, with, a, with an iMovie so... clock wipe. Uh-huh. Speak, in those 24 years, now you're, I, you're able to do that on your laptop. <laughs> you can do it on your phone. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But I also, it's so it's funny a, that yeah. <laughs> Lucas is presenting to us the handmaiden of Padme, yeah. who we know is not the fucking handmaiden. And I can't tell whether or not Lucas wants us to believe that it's actually yeah. her or not. I think he wants us to think they're twins at this point. I think that's what he wants. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking. Except, and there was reference like in IMDB notes about this movie that when they're both made up, that they looked exactly the same. That on set, they couldn't tell each other apart. And I, every time they're on screen, I well, think. Well, nope, now, now that I know the, fir- totally the first time, well, yeah, but the first time I saw it when they're when Kira Knightley's in all that makeup, I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, they do, they do look exactly the same. What I don't understand is what it's all in aid of. Like, yeah, they kind of look like each other. She, she's indistinguishable when she's in the outfit and the makeup, but it just never helps to, to, until the first scene of Attack of the Clones. To what end? Yeah. Um. Exactly. Exactly. Remember yeah. that. Also, when when they go into town, you can't help but notice that this is an ensemble of characters made entirely of sidekicks. Right. R2-D2, Jar Jar, and Padme. (laughs) And arguably Qui-Gon as well. You could, yes. But the funny part to me, too, was you see some kind of lazy storytelling here. Because Qui-Gon's kind of in charge, even though the queen is the queen. When it comes to getting parts, Qui-Gon's the guy. And they come out and the, the guard is saying, hey, so she wants you to take this person with you. And he says, no, we can't do that. He goes, no, thinks you should. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's a bad idea. Mm. And then let's go. Yeah. Because she has to go. It's like, it's again, you know? it's like minutes from a Senate meeting. I want to be yeah. on record. <laughs> I'm voting for this, but I oppose it. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was a theory uh, I remember listening to a, a podcast that was hosted by Paul Rust and uh, he was I don't think he came up with the theory but he was talking about the theory that the reason why the dialogue's so bad in The Phantom Menace is that you know it, having been through the divorce process 
like a prolonged divorce process. Like all he knows mm-hmm. is how to talk to lawyers. <laughs> and how lawyers talk. <laughs> and if you look at the movie through that prism, it's like like uh... scenes like this make total sense. <laughs> it's like, it yeah, does. that's how depositions go, so I guess that's how humans talk. <laughs> I haven't been outside in years. <laughs> that's funny. I was really Yeah, we're gonna I was really struck by how much more restrained Lucas is in the version of Tatooine we see here than he was with the special edition of Star Wars. Yeah, I thought the same thing. The backgrounds thing. aren't half as busy. The background aren't half as nonsensical. Uh, I mean, you know, there are, there's not even more so Banthas, that... I don't think, than... than... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's funny that he won't give us the original series, which we it's want. It's crazy. But he'll listen to the criticism and... Yeah, and... yeah take a bunch of shit out of this and one. That, and it's Attack funny. of the Clones is all like that. It's like, oh yeah, you want me to do this? Well, I'll do it, but you're going to have to you're going to have to take a bullet for it. Of something else, <laughs> I think up in my weird mind. It's just like that all the way through. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, this is where we get the the infamous Jar Jar stepping in poop joke. Um which <laughs> is later followed by a like a farting OP. And we've never really had toilet humor in Star Wars before. No, yeah, you're right. Or again. <laughs> after these movies. <laughs> or after this, this movie. why you shouldn't do they it. They don't do it yeah. in, you know, it's, there's no point where Anakin has to leave a battle because he's got the runs or something like that. There's no scene like that. That would have been great, by the way. <laughs> but yes, you, I, I've, I've talked around this, but uh, finally we have to face Watto. Another racial stereotype. Another racist alien, again, based on racist aliens from past media. Yeah. And we're going to meet Watto and Anakin at the same time, or, well, roughly the same time. Yeah. So I guess we have to talk, also have to talk about Jake Lloyd. Well, this scene really isn't fun, is it, to discuss? I think he handles this scene really well. Uh, yeah. He's cute. So he's Jake cute. Lloyd he is... looks right for being, mm-hmm. An- like, Anakin's... Uh, uh, Luke's baby father. <laughs> he's cute. He's a cute kid. He's he, yeah. the business he's doing makes me believe he works there. You know, and he's also got. I agree with they've that. They've got the through line of him being a pilot and the aviation stuff and him tinkering with stuff, which is how we found Luke. Sure. I don't. I but don't like that he's derided. A slave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that is a that is a real that is that is a. a an adult concept you don't want to throw into a kid-friendly movie without any follow-up. Well, that's the thing. Okay, so we're at Jake Lloyd, so can I at least bring up that I think it's a terrible idea, no matter what was in George Lucas's canon head, about how Jedis work. This is what I mean about because... don't read the draft screenplay because he was he was significantly older. Well, that's he wasn't, a better choice. He wasn't quite Luke's age. Mm-hmm. But he was like twelve or thirteen or something like that, which is still too young. How, but... how old was Mark Hamill for Star Wars? Wasn't he twenty? Yeah, I'd want it. I'd want it in between. I'd want him to be like mid-teens. I think that's what I said. I want. I want, I want him at yeah. fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, I want him to be like an adolescent. Yeah. And I guess the problem for me is because and this, this would retro. All, by the way, this would all work at that age. Yeah. 
Exactly. Everything in these, you wouldn't have to change a thing. You wouldn't have to change a fucking thing. And it also wouldn't turn Natalie Portman's Padme into a creep. Well, th- so basically what's happened is... And also it just I, doesn't work because Jake Lloyd in real life is 10 years younger than Natalie mm-hmm. Portman. But Hayden Christensen, they're the same. They're born the same year. Yeah, but the force makes you grow faster. I shut up. <laughs> Way to annoy you. <laughs> Honestly, that is what I did. It. That is what I did in my head canon to try and get around the 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 bad taste of um, pedophilia in my mouth. Okay, from this. fine. Oh, so it's at any rate. I just think the whole thing is no. You're right. A, you're hundred. It's a terrible right. choice. Yeah. And I, I feel bad for Jake Lloyd. He should not be derided as much as he has been in popular culture for his performance. Definitely not, no. There are, of course, things that don't ring too true when he says them. But a lot of the work he's doing is fine. It's absolutely it's fine. more than fine. And it, even it, good. So even good. So, so some background to this. Okay. And, and this is why, you know, if you want to blame, if you didn't like it and you want to blame anyone, blame George Lucas. I do. That, that I is who Lloyd. I blame. I know, I know, but but fans typically, you know, they target Jake Lloyd for not being up to the up to the job. George Lucas mm-hmm. specific, he had a choice. It got down to two actors, and he went with the actor who was who was less uh, less of a professional trained actor because he didn't want those professional kid actor reads that we all know what those sound like, mm-hmm. right? So he had a kid who was like technically good, but couldn't do the emotion. And then the kid, Jake Lloyd, who wasn't as skilled an actor, but the emotion read and the vulnerability read far more because he didn't Mm -hmm. seem confident like kid actors do. Yeah. So Lucas actually wanted that quality that people deride of looking a little bit out of your depth and a little bit unsure and vulnerable. Well, and it's also, I I can't blame him because there are, are trained actors who are adults who are struggling with the dialogue that George Lucas <laughs> exactly, has given yeah. them. So I'm not going to blame the kid for not so, being able to do it. It's so funny. There's, there's a, there's a, a I say unintentionally hilarious clip from the behind the scenes footage where George Lucas and Rick McCallum are walking away from um, who, produ- who produced uh, produced the film, which means, you know, he said yes to whatever George asked him to do. Um, <laughs> and they're walking away from them filming the, the the dinner scene on Tatooine. Right. And he's like, boy, Natalie's so good. She's she's so good. I, I, I'd never worked with her, and, you know, she's so good. And then Rick McKenna was like, oh, and then, um, uh, oh, no, it must have been the later scene. I uh, said, and, and Ian's really good, too. He's like, oh, yeah, Ian's always good. And I learned a lot about Jake. And that's where it is. <laughs> Shit. Fuck. So maybe, maybe even Lucas didn't get what he wanted out of this kid. Oh man. But I, I don't see any of that. I, I, I'm emotionally invested in his, his performance. I, 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 I am too. And I, 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 I do I'm not feel... ashamed to say I nearly, I, I, I nearly wept when he was separated from his mother. Those things are hard for me now, being a parent. The thought mm. of being separated from your child just will, will, you know, instantly bring me to tears. But because I don't think the, the movies, it's, the movies not bringing me to tears in that moment. 
I think, I think Jake that Lloyd scene is really doing works. I think it's so well directed, so well acted that scene, even well written. I think. Oh, I think all oh, of it. I think it's. I a find bit it really touching. Distant and cold. No, I think uh, this. This well, so what many makes a mother I... just kind of say, "My place is here, off with you." <laughs> not that she says "off with you," but well, not not uh, not her, him. Like you know, I don't know. It like that's why. Even though they could have played it in a way where Revenge of the Sith was directly related to this. It's like he's... Mm-hmm. So he has all this trauma, and that's a big part of why he becomes Darth right. Vader. And they're, they go so far with that, and then they kind of abandon it as they go on. They maybe mention his mother once in Revenge of the Sith, but yeah, that to me is, the, is what... That would be the obvious reason why someone would turn to the sure. dark side, is the trauma. Yeah. And it's such a and 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 it told for me. It, anyway, we're not there yet. We've, we've got we've got a whole we've got <laughs> yeah, a whole down, uh, would you please? We've got a whole episode of wacky races in between. <laughs> I d- so yeah. So they're in Watto's. What's it called? Watto's junk shop. Yeah, whatever. Which is not stereotypical at all for uh, <laughs> for an anti anti-Semitic for an anti-Semitic racist alien. It makes total sense that we have a a junk shop. Um, the pit droids. I um, forgot. Were... I forgot that you they forgot were... that they were introduced here because they they yeah. get a se- they get a second act in the Mandalorian. In the Mandalorian, and when I saw them, I thought, "Oh my gosh!" I totally forgot that they were in yeah. here at all. Same can't be said for those gonk droids lying around in a pile. No, <laughs> but um, what something I did notice I've never seen before. There's lots of uh, protocol droids lying defunct in the background Mm -hmm. and that must have been they're setting up c-3po right so he's made of the parts of other protocol droids i had assumed yeah i never assumed that i thought he was built from scratch i Uh, like it better this way yeah but i always assumed that anakin you know the force told him how to build a robot My headcanon is very specific, isn't it? The Force made me do this. The Force yeah. makes you do that. <laughs> I guess... The, the, the So, the pros and cons of Watto. <laughs> it's my new book. <laughs> so, so, the, so, the Trade Federation aliens are racist-looking and racist-sounding. Yes. Watto is racist-looking and racist-sounding. And he's also the embodiment of the stereotype that goes along with it, which is there's this money, like money grubbing junk shop owner. You know, the thing that got Alec Guinness banned in Israel for playing Fagin in Doll of a Twist. You know, it's that kind of, it's that kind of style. I think the you know the the bit with the failed Jedi mind trick is actually mm-hmm. funny. I, like I think it, it, yeah, I think it's funny because he tries it twice. <laughs> Um, I would have, like I said, I would have preferred if it was Boss Nass, and also it makes me think of the Jabba scene as well, which it's supposed to call back to. Yeah. I don't know, it's just like, he just, <laughs> almost as a kind of byproduct of, of all, of all this kind of business he has to do, and all we know about him, we get to know a lot about him, is that he becomes a more developed character than anyone around him who we've yeah. met. Who we've met the big so I start to identify with him out of all of them. He's one of the people, yeah. So when he loses, I'm you like, may- oh, I'm invested in... Poor guy. I'm, 
Yeah, no, a little, a little bit. And then I remember when he rolls the die, when he rolls the, the blue red chance die, you're yeah. you're thinking that Qui Gon's a real dick. He's really taking advantage of him. But there's something about the way, like, there's something about the way he's voiced as well, which is like slightly, you know, it's pitiful. It has a pitiful tone to it, which especially in the next movie makes you, even though they make him more racist by giving him an anti-Semitic hat in the next one. <laughs> they, they, but still, like, I, there's, there's a kind of, you know, there's a, there's, it makes me, again, it makes me identify perhaps, you know, by, by default more than anything else, but still, <laughs> I get more invested in what he's doing. And I suppose I, the, the, the I, line, you know, the, yeah, go on. Well, what do you think say, about Watto? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that I, I'm thinking back to when I first saw it, and for some reason he never bothered me as much as Jar Jar. I mean, he, do, he did racial stereotype-wise, but not character-wise. And I, that's, I, think, I think I think that's more the racial stereotype is like more of an accumulative thing. Like when you look back over mm -hmm. the movie and see how many examples there are of it, it's undeniable. <laughs> but go, yeah, I don't think it's related to one character. Yeah, I, just, I I'm trying. I guess what I'm trying to do is figure out why that is. I I could recognize why because he seems more like a real person than anyone else in the movie. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And even the you know the. Uh, Harry Seacombe's son who voices him and like I say there's a kind of there's a pitiful quality to the way he voices it mm. that and of course you know he's you could have had it the creature as this kind of huge well essentially Uncar plot from the Simon Pegg character from The Force Awakens is what it could have been right but they go with the choice of making him this small flying creature partly mm -hmm. because it's more anti-Semitic that way, but um, but also because they do want to suggest it's this, it's this little this little man trying to run a big empire. Yeah, but I think that part of it kind of works in the sense of a, a a character who's carved out a small bit of power. Yeah, yeah. and has let that so, I mean, amount of he's power got dimensions. go to his head. So the, has that, in that way, the character does work. You're right, and it's and it's genuine. You know, genuinely funny in a movie that that doesn't have many of those moments so you mm -hmm. you sort of uh, you latch onto it you and I'll tell you it. what I always have liked because shortly after this we meet Sebulba I always liked that Sebulba! character yeah really yeah that surprises me there's something Either, about the he, the way he moves I mean it's definitely once we <laughs> he's one so, of the least offensive 3d characters to me and that's another great vocal performance mm-hmm that's that might also be the difference is a great like a great vocal performance i at this period of time because he's also a his coloring is darker yes i you know because jar jar has got kind of orangish pinkish notes that maybe it's the coloring maybe maybe there's something about darker characters where they fill into the space better it's also a kind of comfort knowing where the movie's going when you see him yeah. Because you see him, you're like, okay, wacky races. Here right, we go. Right. For the next half hour. <laughs> I mean, you're also benefited by the fact that George Lucas can't resist poor Jake Lloyd to say, hey, don't do that. You might get hurt for our next pod race. Yeah. And, it's, and, and so it's, suddenly you're thrust into 
uh, you know, Le Mans with Steve McQueen or one of those Grand Prix movies, which is clearly, and you know, basically this is another way in which this movie is personal to George Lucas. A big part of this movie is about one of his hobbies, which is fixing up old cars and old racing cars. Them. So and that's what like, the next twenty minutes is going to be about. Yeah, it's all his. He's just, he's just throwing his biggest dreams up onto the screen. You know, it's really uh, at this point because you've cast. I mean, Hugh McGregor isn't a huge film star, but he's he's relatively well known. Obviously, Liam, Liam Neeson, even even at this point, still bigger. Oh, Shin, he's had Schindler's List, so he's a much bigger star. Because mm-hmm. there's hardly any Obi Wan. He stays behind in the ship. You're right. And it's all, all Qui-Gon. And looking back at it now, th- you know, and knowing that they, they never hid the fact that Qui-Gon was a one-shot deal. He was going to die right. in the movie. Because the, the soundtrack came out before the movie. And one of the tracks is The Death of Qui-Gon. Death of Qui-Gon, right. <laughs> so they didn't care about spoilers like that back then. But <laughs> the film is actually setting that up. Because why, w- why would you spend so why much Why would you follow him? So- him for so long? Right At the expense of Obi-Wan, this legacy character that we know. It's because you know he's not going to be in the next movie. And it's all going to be about uh, Obi-Wan. So th- it, it kind of lays the pipe for that, I think. <laughs> Yeah, so I wacky races was one of one of the things I thought of. Also, the Flintstones, the place that um, right. Shmi and Anakin live. I was like, those ten. They're supposed to like look like tenement rock buildings. Yeah, and that immediately made me thought of that collision of the modern and the prehistoric <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the. I don't think that's what they were going for, but I went Flintstones. <laughs> Wilma. Oh man. And here's where we get introduced to three PO. Yeah. Well, again, except, for me, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, no. I mean, he also, he's a bunch of wires, right, at this point? Yeah. We won't see him for a whole movie. Yeah. Or the space of a whole movie. It's also, I think the biggest problem with this, and this is, that you might agree with this, is that it's an origin story that no one expects or wants for 3PO. Right, exactly. And yeah. that's, it to me, is in direct contrast to R2-D2. It's like, oh, yeah, this is what I figured. This is where I figured he came from. He was part mm-hmm. of a astromech team, and he got singled out. But this is sort of like Darth Vader built. Yeah, C-3PO. I think he C-3PO won me over. C three won me over on R two D two. C three PO was built on Tatooine in a in a slave's house. I mean, it, like all of it. <laughs> it just feels a bit too much. Oh, it, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, but it's. Yeah, it, it 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 really didn't, and it's one of those things. It really didn't have to be this way. Like, there's mm-hmm. so many ways you could have introduced C three PO in a way that that was organic and still ha- aside from the fact that you know he really well he can meet whoever he wants because he's gonna get his mind wiped. But R two D two shouldn't be meeting all these, all these people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because he's gonna remember and recognize and he could, them. He could tell his friends things. Because mm-hmm. he's seen some exactly. shit. So that I guess that that was my part of my original argument against R two D two because he doesn't have his mind wiped. Mm-hmm. So we no, didn't he even doesn't, need and that's bizarre. We we didn't need Ben Kenobi. R two D two could have said, "I know who your dad is." By the way, <laughs> could have just yeah. told Luke right away. I know it's. Hey, I've heard the stories just, why, of why... about the guy they had to put into a dark black helmet. That guy's your dad. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm un- so we get to the dinner. So, well, we cut away to Coruscant for the first time. <laughs> At this, because we don't have Rick Ollier to tell us about the geography. Um, it's just this kind of urban sci-fi noir city Mm -hmm. that could potentially be the city where the Sith live. Like, it's introduced in a way that it's not clear that it's the capital city of the Republic. I guess maybe that's what, that's the plot twist in George's mind. That you think think? it's this, you think it's this evil place and then you realize it's the home of the Senate, which is his idea of satire. And, uh... Another f- another full house catchphrase uttered by Jar Jar. He says, "How rude!" I didn't watch a lot he of said, full house. Squeeze me and how rude! <laughs> that's that's why you that's why you're so smart. <laughs> oh, I am a gibbering idiot. Um, but it that is the button. First of all, a full house catchphrase. That's two in one movie. <laughs> and a Star Wars movie. But also, Anakin's telling a story about how his body has a bomb in it that will go off if he tries to escape. And the button for that is Jaja going, How rude! And this is where Jaja really strikes me as the most photoshoppable character in the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, removing him from these scenes would change nothing about them. Oh, yeah. Because he's We'd not be contributing fine. anything. I mean, it could, you know, they could just ADR in the line where Qui-Gon says, I'm really glad I caught that fly. And then, because all he does is catch Jar Jar's tongue. Tongue, yeah. And it says, it was weird when you said, don't do that again to that fly. I know. The Jedi can communicate with all kinds of creatures. See, I've already fixed it. (laughs) Creatures big and small. That's right. The smallest of, (laughs) a Patreon exclusive. Even the smallest of creatures. It's a long dinner scene, though, isn't it? I like the conversation. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe maybe just, you know, maybe my expectations are pretty low at this point for what can be achieved through dialogue. But I thought it was yeah. quite good as it goes. Like, it felt like a real interaction that qualified as dialogue. That is a low bar, isn't it? I just realized as I said. <laughs> I think this, I think it qualifies as dialogue. Yeah, that's really setting the bar very low. It is indeed. I love one of the made-up space names that I love here is the Bunter Eve Classic. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's just... You, all you can think about is adolescent George Lucas. <laughs> and I guess some of the sort of, like... He's sort of... Um, uh, what's the word? He's kind of canvassing onto Anakin his love of cars and racing and also the fact that he was considered like a child prodigy. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was like a, you know, he got he made all his achievements were made really young, right? You know, as a, as a film director, he he was you doing stuff younger than everyone else, I think, mm-hmm. of his right. generation. And so I think both those things are, I think, you know, he's a surrogate for Anakin at the forefront. Anakin's of his mind. a surrogate for him. For well, him. Yeah. actually, the first one was better, <laughs> but it's description of Anakin. <laughs> George <laughs> uh, Lucas is a surrogate for Anakin. This is also where we get into the the first real characterization of Qui Gon. Mm-hmm. Like it's in the uh, one of the reasons I think this scene is a little better than than the scenes we've had before. I know you, it goes on a while, but there is 
you know, some sense of character development, like what quite sort of individualizes Qui Gon a little bit more. Because yeah, but sense. I also think you get a real sense of of Anakin himself. Yeah, but just the sense that you know he's both street, like he's street smart because he talks about the pod racing on other planets. Mm-hmm. He's a bit of a hippie rebel. Yeah, um, but he's also you know he's a a tough guy because he's sort of you know talks about killing people yeah so that's <laughs> right. a bit more that's more information than we've had uh, up until this point in the entire movie of what qui-gon is like as a character as opposed to just an archetype mm-hmm. of the jedi master like he's this particular kind of jedi master and i guess that's important once we get to coruscant because I, it's his contrast we... with the rest of the jedi council that, that right i was gonna say because we haven't really got to the part yet i don't think we haven't had any part where Obi-Wan's mentioned you're going to divide the council again. We haven't got that sense yet, right? Because we get that when no. they go back to Coruscant. Right. I, at this point, yeah. I guess we're just sort But of, he's a bit of a maverick. He's a bit of a maverick. And then I, I, I think we get the point so far that it's like rebellious parent, conservative child, sort of a family ties situation. Mm-hmm. But... We know from what we've seen in the Star Wars movies that Obi-Wan's going to end up more like Qui-Gon <laughs> when he gets older because he's also going to be a bit of a rebel and a hippie. Yeah. And, um, you know, a maverick to a certain extent. You know, mm-hmm. he's a guy you know, just as happy in the cantina as he is meditating in a cave. Sure. And we see more of that in the next movie. I fucking love it. Obi Wan in a bar, looking like he belongs there. So good. It's great. Well, can we talk about midi chlorians? Is that where we are? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I was having so. I want to know your reaction the first time you heard this. Well, I mean, even so, even before you get to that. You know, she ask who's the father. It says there was no father. I was like, Ooh. oh, is that before that? You're um, right. I'm sorry. Is, yeah. You're right. So we've already got. We basically because I wrote down Anakin is Jesus. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's essentially it. Like, I guess. I and again, if you want to give it the benefit of the doubt, you because the way in which you could say Darth Vader is a biblical character because he's like Lazarus, right? right? He's a sort of fallen angel. Mm-hmm. But then I guess he starts out as Anakin, who is Jesus. <laughs> right. So you're kind of confusing your religious metaphors there. But yeah, it's like clear Christian allegory, and it really took me aback. But right. to, 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 from go to that to, I mean, let's call it what it is, eugenics, master race theory, <laughs> you know, adding on the mythology that there's something biologically specific about the Jedi... The other thing that's like even the actor, what's her name, Pernia August? Mm-hmm. It doesn't even feel like she quite buys it as she's saying it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's as though she's thinking in her mind. But it's sorry, sorry everyone, this is fucking nuts. Sorry. Yeah. I want to go back to Denmark where they write scripts properly, um, <laughs> being a a bleak TV police procedural. Yeah. Well, the problem is, it's like it's, you're being buffered between two extremes of science and faith. So, so Anakin's virgin—so Anakin's virgin birth and then his biological genetic superiority, one after right. the other—it doesn't make right. sense. Well, and on top of that, I say this as a not religious person, hmm. 
but there was always something I I always liked the idea of Jedi's feeling the force, letting yeah. the force throw flow through them. You're near another Jedi and you think the force is strong with this one. It was based on feeling, it was based on emotion. It wasn't yeah. clinical. Oh, it so was the... total it was it was Buddhism. Yeah, totally. Which shares, you know, it shares mythologies with Christianity, but it not faith systems. Mhm. So that is anyway. This, yeah, yeah, just like the 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 right turn into literally a right turn, a turn yeah, into in, in... into Nazism, <laughs> right, and into science. I hate it. Uh yeah, it's 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 interesting. And again, like you know, if you, if you when well, George science Lucas... is more the midi chlorian, but anyway, no, but the... it's the... so. There's nothing wrong with it in essence because this is science fiction. Mm -hmm. Science fiction fantasy. So you could do a fantasy thing like they're making him Jesus or right. you could do a science thing by making, you know, have little blood cells that are talking to each other inside you. Right. But put juxtaposing them and for those to be uh, atypical of the mythology as we know it, those are the problems for me. Mm -hmm. Not the, you should be able to do that within the genre. Absolutely fine. But it's just misjudged how they do it. Okay. And then of course, you know, they sort of like many things in the Phantom Menace, they, they walk away from it and then double down on it simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. So I guess for me, it's also, you know, if you listen to George Lucas, he's, he's, talks about the mythology of Jedi's. He's like, so this, well, is, he just also thing, said this he... is just a thing we added. We added this about the Jedi's and that there's this other part of Jedi's. And I keep thinking, you don't even realize you're shitting on the first three movies you did, though. Well, also, George Lucas, he, he sometimes responds the way that fans do when they get defensive about the mm -hmm. Star Wars sequels, you know, the, the, the illogical plot turns in the Star Wars sequels, of which there are many. Sure. And they get really defensive of it and say, well, just because a character on screen said it doesn't mean it's true. And that's exactly right. what George Lucas says about Metachlorians, if asked now. He's like, well, uh, Qui-Gon believed it was true. That doesn't mean it's true. The Jedi's, uh, figure, <laughs> Jedi's figured out that uh, that wasn't what it was. It was something different. It was just Even theory. though they have a test. Also, and this is what makes me, this is what, what makes me question why they can't fix the hyperdrive. They can trans transmit blood samples wirelessly, right? <laughs> also, I mean, do you know the what what they're actually using? What that they uh -uh. use to collect the sample? That's a, a lady shave razor. That's fantastic. You don't know what to do with that information, do you? Nope. <laughs> I almost ended the show on that one. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh well, let's. Well, here's a good here's a good spot to end. I think. Okay. Darth Maul arrives in his ship. Yeah. Which looks. And he's cool gonna send out some droids. Right. He looks cool visually. He looks fearsome, which is what mm -hmm. we want. Vocal work is excellent. The great Peter Serafanovich. Right. Doing a fabulous job vocally. Sorry, so Ray. <laughs> we don't trust your voice. Ray Parks. Yeah. Didn't they tr didn't they use it in solo though eventually? Or was I... that still someone else? 
Is it like I a Darth remember. Vader situation where yeah. David Prowse is in there the whole time and they take it off? It's just some guy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but like it's all aesthetic. Like there's no, there's nothing mm-hmm. beyond. Like you're going, yeah. He looks good. He looks cool. The right. ship is great. He's he's scary. He sounds cool. He sounds scary. That's, that's but, but it's all surface. What... Yeah, it's one of the fundamental problems reflective surface. with this movie, and it's jumping ahead, but like with his death, but his introduction to his death, you know, part of what makes the original Star Wars trilogy works is because you have a villain you can root against the whole time. His name, by the way, is Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. But this is my I mean, new apprentice, Darth Maul. Right, exactly, yeah. And so we Cousin we Oliver. Have, I think this movie, you know, <laughs> through his introduction, and we just don't get to know enough about him, and then the next thing you know, he's gone. And what we needed okay. was, not, not I gone, think... Not though, is he? He's, uh, <laughs> well... It's a life, a life of... He's going to be a, a crawling robot, Subjective to a life of robot legs, like many, yeah. like many a Star Wars character. <laughs> but I think that the this original trilogy could have benefited greatly from... Uh, a villain we could have hated for three movies. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then when it found possibly the greatest screen villain of all time, hold on to him. Right, right. <laughs> it's like we've accepted that for some reason Sidious has a ninety-year-old apprentice. Doesn't make yeah. sense. It's Christopher Lee. Just don't yeah. kill, don't kill him, don't. Oh, you killed him. I swear to God, I mean, we're not there yet, but the second he speaks, I said, now this is a motherfucker who could do that dialogue. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we will. We, we're we not will, there. Let's save we, it. Yeah, he, he's not in this. But but I think that the tragedy, <laughs> have you heard the tragedy of Darth Maul? <laughs> Darth <laughs> but tragedy... again, it's it's one of those things. It's a misstep. It's a miscalculation. Well, the tragedy of Darth Maul is that there's such potential to the character. I mean, when you saw mm-hmm. him in the trailer, you were like, "Oh, just you know, tell me about this guy." Yeah, exactly. It's like I and you I never get to... told about that guy. You yeah, and it's not like, and it's not that I want backstory or you know finding out about his species or anything like that. I no, just want yeah. him to interact with the movie on a level other than aesthetics. Yes. Is that too much to ask? I'm not asking for too much, am I? Can I I I end end this episode by saying... Go ahead. (laughs) There's a scene in Mos Espa that begins with an establishing shot, and in the background, a droid is pulling an Opie who is pulling some cargo. So effectively, oh, yeah, yeah. in the background, there's a political cartoon going on. <laughs> I half expected to see like a little signature at the bottom of it. That's great. Oh, shit. Well, we're about to get to our pod race. And mm-hmm. as if our audience hasn't guessed, we like talking about the Star Wars films. So yeah. let's take a break, friend. Yeah, they've already and seen when they downloaded the episode, it'll say part one or something like that. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> this is the part where we stop. <laughs> We're already longer than the average episode, I think. Yeah. So when we come back next week, we're going to get into the pod race and everything about the pod race. Fuck, I love that pod race. 
and I have one word to say to you about that. Go ahead. Wizard. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Wizard. Have you seen this movie? Yeah. Anakin says that's wizard. It means when? it means that's cool in the well in in, in ta on Tatooine. Wizard. Holy shit. You're welcome to oh, cut I... all that out where you didn't know one of the most famous lines from the movie. Is it? Or you can keep it in. It's up to you. You're the sound editor. That's right. I'll do whatever I want. Thank you. Of course you. you're right. Of course you're right. <laughs> yes. You loved that. Subscribe to our pa <laughs> subscribe to our Patreon if you want to know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, that is part one of the Phantom Menace. Stay tuned next week. We're going to finish up. And we got more to say, obviously. <laughs> Anything left for you, Tom? I don't care what universe you're from. That's got to hurt. <laughs> All right. Well, for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. <laughs> when you hear us next time, part two oh, part of one. Phantom Menace. Yeah. <laughs> part, part two. two part one. Part two of episode one. <laughs> all right you want to say goodbye again no i'm content with my original very good then <laughs> so long everybody we'll be back I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer.